Welcome to the Blackout Podcast. This podcast offers our community a dual perspective of black people who serve our community as law enforcement officers through thoughtful discussion, debate, and articulation of facts with some reasonable opinion. Our communities are struggling to coexist, and this podcast serves as a bridge to help reconcile these two communities. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow, and keep up with our page on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. breaks down why doctors say yes and no. Drug addictions have to start somewhere. I've never had anyone who said that heroin was the first drug that they ever tried or used. Hilda Phipps with the Helen Ross McNabb Center says it starts with a gateway drug. That's a habit-forming substance that may lead to the use of other addictive drugs. Somebody is taking a substance to change the way they feel. The million-dollar question among doctors is marijuana a gateway drug? The Centers for Disease Control says no, and others agree. For the majority of folks, I would say no. Addiction medicine specialist Dr. Mark McGrail works with patients at Cherokee Health Systems who deal with different drug addictions. Not everybody who smokes marijuana goes on to develop either a substance use disorder or use another illicit substance. The National Institute on Drug Abuse reports that same thing. But what about the marijuana users who do go on to develop a stronger addiction? The National Survey on Drug Use reports people who are addicted to marijuana are three times more likely to be addicted to heroin. For people who have some other risk or predisposition to addiction, I would say that very often marijuana is the first substance used. In cases like that, marijuana could be called a gateway drug. Doctors say your home life, peers, family environment, and genetics all play into if it will lead to a stronger addiction. But weed isn't the only thing that may make your brain likely to respond to other drugs. All right. Thank y'all for joining us. This is C-Dub with the Black Hot Podcast, season two. I'm back at it. Thank y'all for the uh, encouragement and the uh, and the check-ins. Um that was Jump In by Wale and Lil Chris um, from TBO. 
that's kind of how I feel. I feel like I just had to jump in and get going, get back in it. So it's lots to talk about. It's lots to talk about. Today, I want to talk about the gateway drug, right? Like, I know everybody traditionally understands the gateway drug as being like marijuana, at least a heroin or something. And you're just destruction of your life and now you can't accomplish your goals and all that stuff. But I want to talk about the gateway drug and how it impacted law enforcement. So let's just let's, let's start at uh, the Minnesota Police Department, right? This is a department of 800, roughly 800 police personnel, like 300 or like civilian and then they enforce law on the city of about 400,000 people and I, this is popular in Minnesota right now because they are trying to determine how large the police force should be which is actually a popular subject throughout many states and a lot of your local areas and all, all the listeners this is probably going on in your community is how many police officers do we want to have um, and I kind of mentioned this in some previous in, in last season's podcast about, you know, what is what is the benefit of defunding the police? Like, you know, I think the terminology is rough, but I think if you, if people really sit down and listen to each other and talk to each other, they find out that there are things police officers don't want to respond to, and there are things that citizens don't want to see police police officers respond to, and that would effectively reduce the functionality of the law enforcement. But to stay on the topic at hand, so <laughs> we are looking at um how a department of 800 people can enforce law on a city of 400,000 people, right? Like that just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Like there's a, there's a super ratio that talks about um, how many officers you should have per citizen. And it's, I think last I remember hearing was like three something to one. So for every 300 officers, for every 300 citizens, you can have one officer. The reason why I bring that up is because it makes one think of a really good question. That is, how do they actually enforce the law in a community that large? Like, how do they really gain control and establish a order and peace and order in a community that large with that much of a population with only having 800 people? Well, the reality of it is, is that police officers are agents of the community. Police officers carry out the law that the community wants to enforce. And instead of a random citizen or the community always being on edge trying to figure out how to enforce the law and that they want, that they created, that they want, and you know, uh, governing their homes and their residents and their businesses and their property uh, in their pursuit of their happiness, uh, they decided they were going to make law enforcement officers and agents or sheriff deputies that would allow, or police officers that would allow uh, someone who was a law violator to be safely detained and brought before a judge to have to be uh, prosecuted and appropriately sentenced for that violation. So in a sense, you know, when you're talking about law enforcement was really a, like when you talk about community policing and that's like the real, you know, the real deal community policing where you have a community of people who um truly rely on and interact with in a criminal justice process. It's just that the officer is the one who actually carries out the administrative and the physical task, but it belongs community uh, policing and criminal justice and, and uh, keeping community safe is a community effort. It's community project. It's not just something that should be relied on, on, on law enforcement. And you get 
when you have that high stress, when you have that um, those harsh life circumstances, you start wanting a, a to, to be alleviated of the stress. And that's when addictions start to form, right? So, so crime was was uh, was was causing a lot of stress, and and policing needed a, to be alleviated from that addiction. So stay stay with me. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> so um, so ultimately, police officers had to cooperate with citizens to make things happen, right? So when an officer comes knocking, it's so popular in hip hop and street wise today to say. I ain't cooperating police. Don't police don't ask me nothing. You know what I mean? I ain't seen nothing. I ain't heard nothing. And, for, you know, for, for rightfully so, you know, there are situations where, like, your life might be at risk or you just can't afford to take the chance of being seen as the person that helped uh, get someone arrested or and, and don't want to come to testify in court um, or don't want to look at it as a snitch, even though when I was younger, when I was younger, snitching was looked at as something totally different. If you're if you're a taxpaying legal citizen who's working on a legal job, you're not a snitch. You're a concerned citizen. If you're some you know living on the criminal side of things and you're trying to use law enforcement to get an edge on your competitor, that was more so considered snitching. But that's just my understanding. I'm you know not an expert in the uh, concepts of snitching, but uh, but I will say that it just seems to have changed over time, and because of that, uh, policing was heavily relying on witnesses. Uh, people coming to court to testify, jury uh, participation, uh, people providing expert testimony, people identifying names and helping people, helping victims identify suspects. I mean, like it, it was so reliant on community participation that if the community did not help, then the crime wouldn't have been solved, but it was, but that was never something to be second guess, right? So then in comes crime in the eighties, right? You know what I mean? Like seventies, eighties and, you know, crack and all that stuff is going crazy. And like, you know, like these, these, uh, you can look up the UCR codes and FBI, uh, websites and the uh, Department of Justice website if you're interested, of course. And they'll tell you how the high crime rates truly were just ridiculous, like abnormally high. During those times, right? So what now? Now that now policing has a stressor, and now they're looking for something that's going to relieve them of that stress, and, and it comes marijuana, right? But it's not. But I'm not saying officers aren't smoking marijuana or anything like that. I'm not talking about it from that perspective, even though that has happened. I'm talking about it from the perspective of drug case law was developed to help policing. Uh, get control over the drug and the war on on the war on drugs or war for drugs, and you know because ultimately you know drugs became uh, a huge deal when when they were connected to homicides and violent crime and uh, or any property crime and they just became a huge deal and that really required higher law enforcement involvement. And so law enforcement said, you know, had the mic up, right? Got to keep people safe. That's his job. That's his role. And then you get case law. And so not taking you through a case law, you know, <laughs> podcast, but I would just say this to me, to me. I'll just give you an example. I'm driving down the roadway and uh, I had just happened to have my windows down because a smart officer would, especially one in this scenario. And I just happened to catch the odor of marijuana. Hmm. And so I drive beside a car and I just smell it so strong, right? I just, okay, it's coming from this car. 
I do a traffic stop and affecting a traffic stop. I get to the vehicle. I, I, I've confirmed the odor of marijuana coming from the vehicle. I identify the driver. I ask the driver to step outside the vehicle. I have backup there so they can watch the driver as I can now search the vehicle. Now, I don't know if you realize what just happened here, but because of case law alone, I can pull a car over and I can have somebody removed from their car and I can search their car. I didn't need to get a search warrant for any of that. Right. And then after I searched the car, I searched the person if they have the smell of odor on them. And you know, if I don't find anything, I let them go. If I find something, I now have evidence of that item. I can now charge this person. I can now take that marijuana and flip it into a search warrant of, of someone's residence, some someone's hotel, whatever the property they have, they own that I suspect that I can link that them, their ownership, their home ownership to possibly distribution of a felony distribution of marijuana. And, um, and I can get a, I can get a search warrant for that. And then let's say I actually find something at the residence. Now I got like some really some, some really serious charges. I got this person looking at. And so now either they can eat the charge or guess what? They can cooperate and they can tell me, you know, who the supplier is. And so what I did is just, I just, I've pretty much, so in the end, this person can get convicted or not. This person can a lot of, can get a decent amount of jail time or not. I can be seen as a good officer getting drugs off the street and getting some accolades on my job. I'm just doing my job. It, I mean, especially if it's connected to a couple of firearms in a vehicle. This person happens to be connected and affiliated to some crimes that occurred in the past. The guns come back stolen. The guns come back connected to a, a violent crime. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm hitting on all cylinders at that point as a law enforcement officer. But if you noticed, I was able to do all of that without talking to a single citizen. I was able to, from beginning to end, the only person I needed to talk to was either the person who I needed to get out the car, the the, the offender in this case, the person, the suspect I have, or my partners. And in court, in the court, you know, the magistrate, the, the judge, and the commonwealth attorneys or district attorneys or, you know, wherever you have in your state. And I was able to develop a case, build a case, a career developing case. And I never needed to know who the business owners were in that, in that community. I never needed to know, to, know, needed to know who the, uh, the church leaders or the religious leaders were in that community. I never needed to go to a city council or a council event. I never needed to go to a, uh, a kids event or community day or anything like that. I never, I never needed to do a, a community walk. <laughs> I never needed to walk the beat or any of that. And then, so, so because of the benefit of marijuana, I was able to deal with this annoying distress, distressor I had of crime. I was able to actually make some, make some arrests and do some, make some, take some action. I'm not getting rid of crime, but I'm at least doing something to try to combat crime. And so now I'm, now that I have this skill set and now that I have this ability, I realized that I don't have to be as pro-social. I don't have to be as as uh, engaging with the community as I need to be. And then we get other things that build off that. Now we got forensic analysis. Now we got DNA. And now we got fingerprints. And now we got camera surveillance systems. And these items allow us as in law enforcement to enforce the law on on, our, on the communities of the people who we work for, who 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 have endowed with us their 
trust and their consent, we don't even need to interact with them anymore to get to solve a case, to solve a crime. Um, and in doing that, we've moved so far from the days of needing someone to cooperate. So, so when it's but when it's not a drug case, when it's not a major, when it's not a uh, a, a, a easy narcotics investigation, not easy, but a narcotics, narcotics investigation, and it's a major crime, and it's a homicide or a, or a special victims unit case, and or so you know aggravated assault, where we're more reliant on citizens to cooperate or more reliant on citizens to testify, we don't have the relationships. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or or we're struggling from the ground up to build the relationships. Before the relationships started with the patrol guy that led up to all the way up to the narcotics people to the major crimes people and 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 the, and the detective bay. And now it's the people who are only only the, the major crimes investigators who are the homicide, working on the homicide unit, the special victims unit, the aggravated assault unit. It's these guys that are, you know, dealing with, uh, are, that are having all the social skills. And they're the ones that come off as socially aware and, and culturally diverse and, and know how to deal in diverse populations because they need to, to have be, to close cases. They need to, to be good caseworkers. So over time, this, this gateway drug, it started off with marijuana, but it led to these other tools on our duty belt that help us solve crimes without having to, you know, get assistance from members in the community. But the, the lingering impact, it made us harder socially. It made us harder, uh, and I, anti, so we became antisocial. We became, more isolationist and it really caused us to really not connect with our community. So, you know, when we have, uh, officer, officer involved shootings and, and use of force incidents, we know that science says like an implicit bias training, which teaches us that, you know, people that you're not familiar with, you're going to see as a, you're going to see as a threat and specifically, Implicit bias research shows us that uh, black males will be perceived as aggressive uh, without, even though you don't, even though we people don't know them because of either reputation, either because of undeserved reputation or imaging or, you know, uh, you know, video games, music videos, uh, or just somebody just, you know, being raised a certain way to look at people a certain way and they'll just perceive them a certain way. And so if the only time, if that's your only perception of a black male and then you, 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 you go home to a non-diverse population and the only time you interact with black males is when you're coming back to work to arrest black males or, or, you know, or minorities in general, you're going to reinforce your own bias, which tells you that, um, that, that you are dealing with a certain minority group that is dangerous and inherently scary. Well, now, that you have these different forms of now that you have this narcotics case laws and these different these different ways that's led to these different ways of solving crimes without knowing people in community in your community, you don't even have the opportunity to bridge those gaps, you know. So if so, if I am an officer who today in certain states who does not have um, who doesn't who where marijuana is don't is decriminalized and or legalized. 
I now have to take a different approach when it comes to proactive policing. Well, I said, I'm just sitting back and which is as opposed to reactive. So just a quick explanation. Reactive is just me saying, if I get called, I get called. If I don't get called, I'm chilling. You know, I'm just relaxing. But if proactive policing is saying, let me go maybe run some radar. Let me go see if, go walk this beat, patrol this neighborhood. Let me, you know, do some traffic stops for some narcotics. But wait a minute, we don't have that. And now I can't build this case. I can't build this, get this conviction. I can't, I can't make this impression on my career. Um, uh, like I used to. Now I actually have to know people in the community. So it's a huge reset button. And so now we're law enforcement. We're in areas and cities where you see marijuana decriminalized and, 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 uh, and legalized. There's a bit of detoxing in how they, how officers conduct proactive policing. And it's created a more of a need for officers starting early, right out of the academy to learn a community to interact with people, but not just be officer friendly because that's not what we're there for. We're not there to make friends with our social workers, but to also use that information to solve a crime and encourage citizens and the partnership of criminal justice and the partnership of law enforcement. So that way it's not just a police officer standing in court saying you did something and you need to get charged and go to jail. But it's your citizens, it's your community, it's, it's the victim, it's the witnesses, it's the jury, it's the people sitting in the um, in the public, you know, in, in, the, in the pews who are able to publicly view a trial. It's those people who are also telling you that your behavior was inappropriate and therefore you need to be held accountable for violating that law. But the question is now, I guess, is how do we as law enforcement handle this detox? Now that marijuana is legalized in certain communities, now that marijuana is is really, you know, that tool belt of that that led to anti-social policing, that and, it, and don't get me wrong, just because it was anti-social doesn't mean it didn't make a difference. A lot of communities were made safer. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying it didn't work or it wasn't effective. A lot of communities were made safer, but now that that tool is no longer there, and law enforcement is now going to be required to have officers be better at. Pro being pro social, you're gonna see a lot, a lot more different things coming from police officers. Not only the community policing, but you're probably gonna see, you know, some more advanced surveillance. You're gonna see, you know, uh, uh, a greater use of uh, monitoring of like property, like you know, uh, ring doorbell systems. You can now use to help cooperate with investigations and and different things like that. So like, there's a there's a there's a there's a lot to be accomplished here, but I just wanted to. I ain't gonna keep you long. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. The fact that like policing, law enforcement, sheriff deputies, sheriffing, uh, we, we all dealt with the addiction to drugs. We dealt with the addiction to narcotics, but it was in a different kind of way, and it led to officers working in and communities that they really didn't with people they didn't know and didn't have to learn didn't have to learn they didn't have to learn to speak to they didn't have to learn to interact with so that is me that's my time still in my clothes don't make me have to relapse on these take it back out the tax in a row when i was hugging it could do nothing with it straight from the oven with it came from the dirt i emerged from it all without a stain on my shirt you could blame my old earth for the she instilled in me still with me pain plus work she made me milk this game for all this work that's right 
camera with me. I'm calling guts every time. Track my every time, homie. We make a great combination, don't we? Me in the face, mob. Every time we face off, face it, y'all. Y'all playing basic ball. I'm on the block like I'm eight feet tall, homie. I'm in the drop with the AC on. That's why the streets embrace me, dog. I'm so. Sorry.